Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Apple Store at 3rd Street Promenade. Hey, that doesn't sound exciting enough. I said, welcome to the 3rd Street Promenade Apple Store. All right, that's a little better. Tonight, we have a very, very special event. We are lucky enough to have the director of the movie Watchmen and as well as the past movie 300 here to speak with us. So without further ado, please give a warm round of applause to Gregory Novak, who will be the moderator for this Q&A. Give him a warm round of applause. Hey, welcome to the very special screening of He's Just Not That Into You. Um, and uh, for all of those who came here not expecting to see the movie, the whole movie, sorry. Um, how many people here know Watchmen? How many have bought the book multiple times? I have handed it off to friends. And those of you that haven't, you will now do so, right? Okay, fantastic, good man right there, good book. Um, so I don't really have to tell you what a seminal achievement Watchmen is, right? I don't have to tell you how it's on Time's list of 100 greatest novels of the 20th century. I don't have to tell you how it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't have to tell you to show up on March 6, 2009 to see the phenomenal movie that's been created from this book. I don't have to tell you any of that, right? But I just did. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna get that over the way, over out of the way. We have a pretty phenomenal program for you tonight. So I'm gonna introduce some uh, key team members from the movie and they're gonna talk about stuff. Then we'll all talk about stuff. Then we'll give you guys an opportunity to ask some questions. Um, since so many of you have read the book and are looking forward to the movie, I would ask you to um, be as intelligent in the book in the questions that you will ask of the filmmakers. Uh, so the first person I, I'd like to uh, ask up here is the uh, visual effects supervisor for Sony Imageworks, and that is Pete Travers. And uh, the next gentleman, uh, who uh, I believe has worked with uh, the director on numerous occasions, the visual effects supervisor for uh, Watchmen, uh, DJ Desjardins. <laughs> and, you know, finally, some people say that director is a really all-encompassing <laughs> term, and it is a... Uh, uh, a great term and is very appropriate, but in this case, I think, in bringing something like this to the screen, it's not just a director, but a visionary, and uh, it is my pleasure to introduce Zack Snyder. Hey guys, hey guys, how you doing? You guys all right? Um, it's crazy that we got up here, because we're going to get right down uh, for a second, because we're going to show a, um, a little clip of uh, the sort of how-to Manhattan. Isn't that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> I believe so, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of clips. We made a lot of clips. That's not my fault. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I think without further uh, that thing, when you wait, um, we'll show the, uh, the clip, and then we're going to talk about it, about uh, Manhattan. Uh, these guys know a lot about Manhattan and uh, how we did them. And then we'll show another awesome clip, because that's what we do. Um, so, shall we show, roll the clip? Yeah. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Never wow. smiled once oh, in the screen. Pretty cool, huh? 
Yeah. You want you want to see the rest of the movie, right? So that was very informative for you guys now to go out and make your own Manhattans. <laughs> I don't see how we'd have more to say. Um, except that these guys have been awesome. Um, in you know we we have worked on this idea um, when we you know originally the studio said listen you know as far as Manhattan goes what about um, just painting the actor blue that could be cool <laughs> and you know I said yeah no I mean I don't want to be a complete dork about this and be mean and say no I need you know him to be completely CG but you know, it does create a lot of problems immediately. Like, okay, what actor is, you know, going to be the able to emote like Billy does? Because Billy's pretty awesome, and be ripped up and willing to like be nude. Um, and also, then you have an issue with just how people are going to take that. Like, you know, if we have to, you know, put a prosthetic on him or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen that, right, in the movies. They do that sometimes. <laughs> Not often. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are, there's a bunch, and then, plus then he has to glow. So then we'd say, like, okay, well, then we'll just cover him with a little CG. It's like, okay, well, it's like being a little pregnant, I think. You know, like, it's, it's, uh, it's starting down a road that ends up with, you know. That, and we did explore that a little bit. It wasn't like we were completely we against it. it. We talked about it. Yeah. They had done, someone had done an independent test for us. I, I won't say what visual effects company. Wasn't us. Was, yes. <laughs> and they had taken a guy and painted him blue and shaved his head and then tried to, like, make him look a little bit wiggly. He looked like um, Jambi or something. He looked like, uh, it was Jambi. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with who Jambi is, but he's, he's not Manhattan. Um, and so, I mean, I... I mean, the one cool thing about the movie coming out now, other than that we did it, which is pretty cool, but the other cool thing <laughs> is that that would have been the solution. How long ago do you think that would have been the solution other than a really crazy-looking Dr. Manhattan? Like a day ago. No, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like if we'd made the movie five years ago, we'd no. probably, we couldn't have done him. Not possible. You know, he wouldn't have looked like, the, he would have really looked hard. like a ghost or something. And <laughs> puppets, nice. That would have been a lower tech cool way to do it too, with puppets. That would have been awesome. Anyway. Um, and so, you know, we did arrive, I think, and happily at um, a pretty cool uh, Manhattan. I, you, Billy Crudup is an amazing actor, and I think one of the things that I asked of these guys was that, I mean, Billy is hilarious when he's like, oh, they're going to erase me and like <laughs> put another guy in there. We, it was painstaking to keep Billy in the movie, you know, because it was really about, the biggest challenge was keeping Billy's acting in the movie because it's so good. And so I, you know, when we talked about how we were going to do that, I mean, that was some of the earliest conversations that we had. You know, we had cast Billy. Maybe if we had cast an actor that wasn't as good as Billy, I would have been like, okay, no, don't worry about him. It's not that great. So you know, we should really work on getting some cool yeah. performance. But since we had Billy and I'd already cast him, I was like, oh, fuck, now we're screwed. Because we've got Billy and he's got to end up in the movie. And so that was, that was a lot of the work that, that, that they, I mean, e even when you watch the video, 
you know, he's constantly having to do these crazy exercises. We'd all leave. We'd be done shooting. Okay, that was great, guys. I go home. And Billy would have to stay there with the video guys shooting his expressions his, and his raising his arms and lowering them. Yeah. He's like, this is so dorky. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool. Let me just ask a couple of questions. Um, at what point in the process did you get to the point where, wow, it's going to be much better to really pr make him the light source as opposed to laying that in later at some point? And secondly, how different is this and how much more advanced is this process than what was done, for example, in Lord of the Rings with Gollum in terms of creating that character? Uh, that's a good... I can just say as far as the light source, I'll let them talk about Gollum because... One I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in the movie theater, but that was a long time ago. And he was pretty cool. Um, we, the light source part was pretty, as soon as we knew he was CG, he had to be a light. So we, we experimented and talked about all sorts of things. We talked about, they make this kind of flat, like paneled LED that looks like fabric. Remember that? We talked about doing that, but it doesn't bend, really. Yeah, like yeah. if it, if yeah. if Dr. Manhattan was the shape of a placemat, that would have been perfect. Yeah, because <laughs> he'd be like this flat, glowing thing. Yeah. Right? It might have been done actually. So um, yeah, so we did that, and and I think it was, but there was a lot of cool attention to detail, like you know putting the lights on the bottom of the feet is pretty cool, stuff like that. That you know, when you know when he showed up, it was Sue was Sue was pretty cool. Yeah. And what about Gollum? Well, actually, I I want to say one thing too about the. The, the light source thing, I remember it was January, it was when I first met you in January 25th or something like that, 2007. So January 25th yeah, was when we decided yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he should be a light Cause, cause we were just we were just talking about it and we realized that it's not only the light source thing, but it solved a lot of other shooting problems as far as Manhattan you know, being CG and being 60 feet tall or 200 feet tall or four of them in one scene and the idea there was if if it's if we have four light suits and Billy's the featured one all the time, Zach can just shoot the whole scene like there are four Manhattans there. We don't have to do any repeat pass, you know, other than the the sort of poor man's repeat pass that we did so that Pete could erase the character elegantly later. Yes. And then we would yes. have four guys just for like body doubles. Yep. They were relatively the same size as Billy. Relatively, relatively. <laughs> give or take a few yeah. inches, but um, <laughs> I didn't think that was going to matter right. as much as it does. We had but a lot of latitude. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so we just had them all just kind of get behind Billy and then duck down. Yeah. So that was really high tech. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think that the whole idea of doing this and how advanced it is, it, it definitely is growing from the roots of you know, what Weta did with Gollum and the, what they did on the set. Although what they did with Gollum was an actual motion capture uh, rig on the set, uh, by the time they got to the end of the movies, on the set, and I think ours has a lot of roots more in what ILM did with uh, Davy Jones. Hey, that's cool. What's that noise? That's fun. That's they popcorn. Yeah. That's popcorn purple. Like yeah. Cut. Right. Whoa. Oh, the mics <laughs> just went out. Yeah, the mic. You killed the mics. Uh-oh. Wait, wait. Oh. oh. Nice. <laughs> that uh, speaker just caught on fire. A little you know bit. I would back off, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put your stuff on that. By stuff, I mean that bag. I think it blew because they knew what my next question was going to be. <laughs> which is the question that I know that all of these fans Nobody that are, book are very curious about, which is, Zach, you've gotten a lot of uh, questions, certainly from the press, from the fans, and for the, from those who have seen the movie and yeah. seen how faithful you've been to the material and have been oh just, yeah. justly happy and proud of it. You, you have veered in one significant detail, 
um, which is in the book, Dave Gibbons, terrific artist that he is, drew Dr. Manhattan perhaps a little closer to Michelangelo's David in some respects <laughs> than uh, in others. But uh, oh, I in, the see. in the movie, I would say you've diverged from that to perhaps, I don't know, a more godlike state. You want to think of, talk about that process? Because we didn't see it really in, in the yes, clip. Yes. And I want to assure people that it's in the movie. Yeah. Thanks, You're talking about Dr. Manhattan. Cock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
we should have just stopped for a minute. <laughs> Shouldn't we stop filming and just make sure, you know, what Steve's saying? No, it was pretty intense. And so I'd say, well, I, I don't know. And he was the one that, you know, he was he would know exactly what was coming um, all the time, you know, as far as products and stuff like that. So he kept us all very much in. He was our tech guru, and he, you know, he, he was awesome. So cool. if you ever run into him, Dave Joshi. Awesome. Um, now, in, uh, apparently this works now. Oh, it's excellent. You can keep that. Um, <laughs> um, when you when you approach the movie, right? You had to approach all these different characters, and, and you uh, oh, you, you stuck really close to the, the costume design in a lot of ways. How how did designing Doctor Manhattan differ from how you looked at Night Owl? Sort of apart from the technology, just in terms of the approach to the character. I think it came from the book, 99%. Um, it's just like, you know, Dave drew a pretty much a, you know, classic superhero body on Manhattan. I mean, he's pretty yoked up and pretty huge, but when you translate that into sort of, when you make it real, physical, and you get, and it's got an intense detail, you end up with, uh, you know, real skin and real um, muscle. And so, I mean, I think that's just, the process of making something real, you know, it's actually, it becomes physical. So you have to really say, oh, you know, where all the muscles kind of overlap and stuff, that's the thing. I mean, he wouldn't be fat. Dr. Manhattan's got no body fat, right? Like he doesn't, if I, he can make himself anything you want, but he's not gonna make himself fuzzy. I don't think. Um, maybe, yeah, it's like, does this please you more? Does this make you more comfortable? And, uh, like he could have, he might have done that. You may have with Lori, time to time. Yeah. No, it's fine. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that was yeah. as far as design goes. Did, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, I think that you know, there was there was a choice with the comic book. I, I, you know, you could have made him look a little bit more like a Silver Surfer or something. It was very drawn in this kind of smooth fashion, and that's what a lot of the tests that we were doing early on. We were the more we added a level of human realism to it, like skin pores, and and Doc, you'll notice in the shots, he's covered with peach fuzz, like just little tiny hairs over his body and eyelashes and everything. And we realized the more we added that stuff, the more realistic he looked, and therefore, the better he sat into the scene. So I think if we tried to go a lot more stylized than we did, I don't know if it would have been as successful as it was. Yeah, he's just he just ends up being less emotional if he's just some blue, like, amorphous figure that has yeah. no... Because you can't see his humanity. I think that was a big part of it was when we were when you look at him in, in extreme close-up, you know, you can see that he's, you know, was a man and that I think that's important to his, who he is. Um, discuss a little bit the decision about the eyes. You know, in terms of whether, you know, because they're, they're really representative of the comic here in a lot of ways, but was there any concern about emotionally conveying the character of using the eyes that way? Yeah, it was a big deal. We were afraid that with white eyes, he would be just like looking blank all the time, like a zombie or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's actually really great when that happens. Um, but uh, if you look really closely, though, he does have, um, you know, there's teeny, he has teeny pupils in there. So, for instance, when you get super close, and if you need a little emotion, we can kind of, we have the ability to kind of screw it back ever so slightly, and you can see his eyes moving around. I, I think that there are key moments in the movie, in particular, where he teleports into the headquarters, and he notices Silk Spectre for the first time. And there's just a shot of him, and, he, and, and Billy did the performance, and he didn't move his head, he just moved his eyes ever so subtly to notice him. And so 
we had to have some kind of implication of eye direction, otherwise you wouldn't, either we'd have to have moved the head or something. But it, again, that would have been changing the performance, which is the subtlety of it was important. So we had, like Zach was saying, there was a fall off to the eyes, and the eyes were actually a light source. So you'll also notice in the movie that when, when he blinks, you actually, it's almost like shutters closing on light. You see the light that was cast on the inside of like a bridge's nose goes out and then comes back on. So it was, uh, it was definitely an important thing to, to, yeah. to, to have that eye direction be an aspect of the character. But I think, too, it had, <coughs> the thing I liked about it was if you got far away from him, he really did look like a graphic novel. It did look kind of blank and, and gave it that feeling. But in the, <coughs> excuse me, extreme close-up shot where we go right up to his face, you can actually see that detail moving inside because yeah. we do have a, a layer, actually a, a volume inside him that moves around and it's sort of our, our nod to cosmic power inside, I guess. And you see it in the eyes, too. Yeah, inside his eyes, it looks like, if you look really closely, it's like some swirling galaxies and all sorts of craziness in there. We kind of, we went a little crazy into the eyes. <laughs> that was, it was, it's fine. No one will ever notice. But that's <laughs> um, should we take some questions? Sure. Anybody got any questions? Um, as far as some of the other character designs, I know like um, like Night Owl. This is like years after their prime, and I know that was kind of a big thing in the comic. They were a little, they were a little pudgy. They were a little. Um, Silk Spectre looks hot as anything. Is that just sort of a, a natural translation for Hollywood that we kind of had to make the Watchmen be a little bit sexier? A little bit, but I think that the metaphors. You know, I really went after as much as I could, like because in Watchmen, you know, like. In the, in the comic book, the characters are all symbolic and they're all metaphors in their own way, right? They all, whether you're Silk Spectre or Night Owl as being a, like a Batman-esque character, like what, you know, he's overweight, but he, within the aesthetic of comic books, in t 25 years later, people said, you know, people have said to me like, oh, but, you know, the costumes look too cool in the movie, like they're cheesy in the graphic novel. I'm like, yeah, but 25 years ago, when the comic book was written, they were stock superheroes. They weren't cheesy. I mean, they were, they had, they, he was overweight, but the irony was that he was overweight, not that his costume was bad. So it's a, it, it's a fine line. Like, I didn't want him to be, I don't want him to be, like, as slick as, say, Dark Knight, you know, Batman, where it's just like, you know, I come from the future. I have, I, I uh, you know, a defense company built my outfit and then it got lost and, the, and then I found it again. And you know what I mean? It's like, where it's completely explained, like, oh, okay, that's real. Like, that, someone made that. But on the other hand, so, but I wanted it to, to look like it could function, but not miss the symbolism that it was supposed to be. Like, what, what it was trying, like, you know, Patrick actually, you know, the suit kind of binds him in, but like, when he lets it loose, he kind of, got kind of fat for the movie, <laughs> which was cool. You know, Everyone else was trying to train, and he was just eating shake all the time. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yeah. Hi. Uh, I know you wanted to stay as true as possible to the color scheme in the book. How difficult was it to, to create a character like Gotham Manhattan and then put it uh, against that color scheme with kind of that background and not have it work really well? <laughs> No, I mean that was the pro sort of that was the evolution. I mean, we we got a sense of how it would work with Billy in the light suit on the day, because you had a big you had a big blue light in the scene, right? So we had we had endeavored to create like a frame that without Manhattan, and then we put him in the light suit in anyway. And you get a sense of how it's going to be, and I, I feel like 
I mean, we all were under that same pressure to make sure he looked awesome, but I feel like we all had this idea of what the end result would be and the level of detail that we wanted to achieve. And, and I feel like that's the thing that, um, as soon as something that's CG uh, and completely out of this world is living and breathing inside the scene with the people, it sort of then gets its, that's where it gets its strength from, I think. At what point did you reveal to Billy that he'd be in the light suit? <laughs> he'd gotten the job already. And <laughs> <laughs> he said, so when do I put my blue costume on? And I said, yeah, huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a cooler thing for you to wear. <laughs> it's like, no, he, I, I kind of vaguely explained it to him. It's because you should have him tell it because it's pretty funny the way he tells it. Because I kind of... When the first meetings, I said, hey, it's going to be cool. We're going to, you know, sort of mocap you on the day. It's going to be, yeah. And so he'd say, oh, okay, that sounds cool, I guess. And then we showed up with the outfit, and he's like, oh, okay, nice. <laughs> nice, I'm the dork now. <laughs> but he's, he's a good sport. He did it. He was cool. Uh, eager fan in the back. Other than the fact that we, then you could, why did you want to tell this story? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, the why of the graphic novel coming to me was that I had, I had read the graphic novel. I was familiar with it. Um, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily want to make it into a movie. Uh, when I first read it, I definitely didn't want to make it into a movie. And at the time, I wanted to make everything into, the movie, uh, into a movie. I was in film school. I wanted to make, like, I'd be like, look at this. This is like a bazooka bubblegum wrapper. I can make this into a movie. <laughs> You know, like I, like, I ate this cereal today. This is going to be a cool movie. I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. Um, but strangely, I read Watchmen, and I just I, I put it down. I was like, okay, that was cool. Uh, that was awesome. Maybe because it scared me. I was like, no, 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 it doesn't need to be a movie. You know? And, and so, you know, cut to many years later, I get a call from the studio, and, you know, God bless them, they call me, and they go, we have a script called Watchmen. <laughs> we believe it's based on a graphic novel. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is. It is based on a graphic novel. Really? Okay. Well, anyway, the script is really interesting. You should read it. And I was like, okay. Send it over and we'll talk about it. And so at the time, my wife and I, Debbie, who's right over there. Yay, Debbie. Um, she's my producer, so... It was actually her idea to make the movie. Um, uh, you know, we just talked about whether it was, I mean, it, it seemed like a really giant and impossible thing, but we just felt like, part of me just said, look, if I fuck this up, I fuck it up, you know? <laughs> if I don't do it and someone else fucks it up, it's still my fault, right? Like, there's no, I can't get away from that. Now they've done it, right? They, they, they. If they hadn't called, I'd be fine. I would have just said, oh, that's great. He's doing that movie. Um, good luck. Uh, but I think that we, and I think once actually we sort of accepted the fact that we were going to make it, then it really just came about about doing it right, as right as we could. You know, that's how, I mean, these guys are all fans of the graphic novel. He's a fan of the graphic novel. <laughs> They're all fans of the graphic novel. I mean, we just, you know, it just was the thing that we just wanted to. You know, and whether I made the movie for, like, you know, geek them or not, you know, I don't know. I made the movie because I wanted it to feel like how I felt when I read it. And so, like, s a lot of people say, like, oh, I've never read the graphic novel. Will I get the movie? I'm like, well, just pay attention. 
<laughs> Just watch it carefully. It's <laughs> not, not explained. And then watch it again, and then tell your yeah. friends to go, and then buy it on video. <laughs> but you know, I guess that's my. So, you know, like the whole is it, was it possible to make? Probably not. But we did it anyway, and it, I think it's all right. Yeah, I mean, we had to change. Yeah, I mean, it would have been. I mean, I think what? How long is the motion comic? Five hours and. Yeah, so it would have been that long. Yeah, and so. You know, the studio, though enthusiastic for the project, <laughs> lacked that kind of six-hour commitment, you know. <laughs> and so, I mean, really, the only thing, you know, people are like, what did you invent? And we're like, the only things we did, we invented stuff to kind of glue the bits together so it could fit, you know. Um, there's been a lot of speculation about uh, effects being rendered for the squid. Um, I was just wondering if you could confirm or deny these, and if... If they are out there, um, if, would we be able to see them and possibly be viewing some of the film? Speculation is a good thing. Speculation is a good thing. Maybe I shouldn't answer that then. But I will, because I'm nice. There's no squid rendered anywhere, I think, on this planet, unless in someone's basement, unless you're doing it. There's a lot of good software on those shelves over there. Squid maker, I see it right there. Um, yeah, that was one of those things. You just see it in the movie. Um, and be feel free to blog about it once you see it. Uh, it's funny because, you know, it, it was one of those things. I mean, look, the squid, I'm a fan of the squid in the graphic novel. I actually am. But I, uh, it was one of, we talked about it a lot. Like, you know, look, it's like Lovecraftian monster. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's cool. Um, but on the other hand, I was like, okay, how much Rorschach am I going to lose for this feckin' squid? <laughs> um, and that was kind of the, that's really what drove it, you know, because that's like 15 minutes of, of Mars. Or, you know, I just, I don't know, I happen to like the guy, the guy's better than the squid. That's what it came down to. So, like I said, you know, I always feel like also, we didn't do anything that replaces the, like, I don't feel like, I think on one hand, if you've read the book, the movie feels cool because you're like, oh my God, that's the book. If you haven't read the book and you see the movie, you're like, man, I wonder what else is in that damn book. <laughs> Hopefully that's how it works, you know, and those people go, because I always say like, look, if I made a two and a half hour ad for the book, then I did my job, I'm done. I can, can feel, I feel fine. We at DC, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but to that point in terms of effects, you know, and assuming that all, these, all of these fine people go and see the movie on March 6, 2009, and um, and love it so much they want to buy the DVD. Are, are there going to be, there'll probably be some scenes on the DVD that may oh. or may not be in the movie. And are, and, and the, the effects that are in those scenes will those be fully rendered? Yeah, that was one of the cool thing that the studio did was they. I mean, <coughs> the movie is two hours and thirty seven minutes long. The director's cut is three hours and ten minutes long with titles, wow. right? Something like that. Wow. Yeah, so it's a bit different, um, <laughs> and it's just. It's just everything. <laughs> and then, like, you know, the Black Freighter is, what, three hours and 25 minutes. So, I mean, you know, if you really want to lose your brain, you can. I mean, it's <laughs> we didn't. And, 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 those, and, you know, the studio let us finish the effects. Like, you know, so it, you can't tell the difference between, you know, it's not like, oh, look, okay, cut to the cheap effects. <laughs> Previs, bam. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which they could have done. I mean, it's, it was not cheap. 
Yeah, Billy in the suit. Cool. Cut to Billy in the suit, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Who has the suit or suits? Who knows? I don't know where they are. Yeah. eBay. eBay. Yeah. <laughs> you can make one. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not out there. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Two, 2000 LEDs in the white. Yeah. Put them right here. The owl ship is in a warehouse, I think, somewhere in like Culver City. Somewhere like that. I don't know. It's around. It's rolling around. It exists. <laughs> Flying around. <laughs> it looks like a camp fly. I mean, yeah. Oh, it'll be at the oh, Beverly Hilton tomorrow. Park valeted at the at the <laughs> <laughs> Beverly Hilton. <laughs> Staying for the weekend. Oh no, it really is at the Bell. Sorry, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> it feels like a joke. <laughs> That's funny. Dan and Lori checked in. Yeah, Dan and Lori. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, I mean they look. When I said I wanted it to be like real, like the book, exactly like the book. I don't think they thought I meant exactly like the book. You know, you're gonna not show all of that, are you? I mean, that's how they reacted, but, you know, we, I just think, you know, it goes back to the whole, the why of Watchmen. It is Watchmen, like, a, it's not, it's rated R, you know, it's not, it, it, it deals with a lot of, like, intense issues, and it's not about, you know, the idea that Watchmen is a superhero movie I always said, I go, guys, if I cut out all the story or all the, like, character, it's a really bad superhero movie. You know, like, there's really, they don't, they don't do a lot of fucking superhero shit. <laughs> so, like, you know, if they're not, like, you know, raping each other or, like, walking around naked, nothing's happening. In this <laughs> so I think that that, to, you know, and to their, you know, to their strength, they said, okay, you know, you're right. I mean, they easily could have made me go back and reshoot. Well, I don't know what I would have done because there's no – you realize that that's in the DNA of the book is the is all of that stuff, you know. The funeral, Manhattan on Mars, Rorschach's interrogation, all that stuff. That's the movie. You know, it happens to be that also there's a little story that goes along with that. But really the movie is that experience, the character experience. I mean, it's it's a crazy movie. I mean, it, it, I mean, in a great way, I think it's really, I mean, it's like the book. I mean, it, all those issues are, they're hard. They're hard. It's hard stuff. But I think, I mean, I hope anyway that people are ready, even people who haven't read the book are ready to sort of see, you know, not Spider-Man, you know, something else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question actually for the audience. For those of you, you know, who have friends who haven't read Watchmen, do they seem excited to see the see the movie? Yeah. 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 More excited than that answer, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Over there in the box. Well, I guess the question is is a little bit of a comparison between 300 and how you shot this, where 300 had. Um, yeah, that's not really the way we the way we like to shoot is that um, basically, in the case of I can make a semi comparison to 300. By saying, for instance, if we were shooting a scene, like we were shooting the, um, the riots, for instance. In the movie, there's a scene where there's riots in New York City. Now, we had a lot of, we built a bunch of New York City, but not all of it. And we had a lot of rioters, but not all of them, right? And so, basically the way it works is I draw a drawing, and I say, okay, this is the shot that I want to make. And 
in a comparison to 300, say it's like if it's Leonidas running like and fighting, and we're like, okay, he's going to run like this, and we're going to film him like that. The thing is, like, the, the leap is I have to say, like, okay, from this angle, there would be, like, 40 more guys going off behind him that aren't there. So everyone's – and I'm like, that's what I want to see, right? And this is where I want to see it from right here. So it's not – especially, I think, these two movies, and Watchmen even more than 300, it, 300 we use – multiple cameras but not very often and then when we started to use multiple cameras I I would operate one of the cameras so pretty much the hero angle would be mine so then in that case I didn't have to tell anyone what I was shooting because they would be like I just shot that I hope that works <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the case of Watchmen because it's pretty much a one camera show there's only the one camera you know it's pretty uh, meticulous um, Finding the shot is a pretty meticulous process. And I know so I, I, I meticulous. When I say meticulous, I mean, and for instance, now when we talk about Mars, you know, we have basically a set that looks like about a 20 by 20 foot or 40 by 40 foot square of red ground that looks like Mars, and the actors are standing there, so it's not Mars at all. <laughs> and if we want to, like, if I say, okay, I want to film a shot of them standing in front of the glass palace, which is gonna be behind them. You know, we say, okay, if you put the camera low, there's no glass palace there, right? There's no nothing. But you're, you just have to be able to know in your, in your brain that the camera's low and sort of, if they're standing here and you kind of imagine the glass palace is gonna be, you know, a couple hundred feet tall, you, and you sort of, you get a, a rough angle, we can like, they put, um, they could, what do you call that thing? Inclinometer. You put an inclinometer on the, on the camera and it sort of shows, oh, okay, that's 45 degrees. And then they can say, well, we're designing the glass palace to be 200 feet tall at a 45 degree angle. If those actors are six feet away, that means you're not going to see the top of it. So you're like, oh shit, let's go low. <laughs> you know, so it, it's a it's a pretty technical process. You know, you afterwards. So when you're shooting it, though, the people are just. You, but you have to sort of know where those things are going to go. You can't just go, okay, you know, have them stand over there, and we'll just film them on green screen, and then later on they'll be, you know, doing what we want. If you don't get the initial part right, then you're pretty much screwed because you can't you can't change the angle on the actors. You can, but it's not. Yeah, that's like another. <laughs> and I think it's important to note, Zach, you draw all of your own storyboards, right? Yeah, so I draw. So yeah, I draw. So basically, you know, everyone has a pretty good idea about exactly what I'm sort of wanting to do based on the drawings. I mean, it's not. Uh, it's not like we don't arrive anywhere. Hopefully, where people don't have a rough idea of what where we're going to be with the camera and where where you know uh, what we're filming. And I, and I think that's how you get, by the way, that's how you get in a movie like this, you, ha you have to do that because you can't, they won't let you build everything. You can only build what you're going to film. So, and the more you are economic about that, like I say, like, look, I promise you I will only see that genius bar sign and that is it. And, and a lot of times, I, I, and I've done it myself because sometimes you have to, you'll go like, fuck, you know, I really wish I could be wider and 
You know, in that case, sometimes you're screwed because you don't have any sets. There's just nothing over there. And then sometimes I'd have to say on the day, the DJ, like, dude, can you build me, like, more building down there? And he'd say, yeah. <laughs> Did I really say it like that? Yeah, kind of uh, like that. Great. I was at, I was, right. uh, yeah, all right, yeah. Um, but, but the, you know, the point is to try and not do that because then the money that you save from not doing that, you can build another small set. And I mean, this movie has 200 sets in it. You know, it, that's like a lot of sets. And, and you know, it's, it's a lot of. Young lady right here? <laughs> the most sleepover. Which element in, in adapting I, I the book? Well, honestly, I think it was the sequence of Manhattan on Mars. Um, and I don't know. It, maybe it was giddy I lost sleep over it, or maybe I was just nervous. But it's this sequence where Dr. Manhattan is like, he's at a talk show, and then he gets ambushed by these reporters. And then he goes to Mars um, and sort of contemplates his place in the universe and sort of because he experiences time in this nonlinear way, through a series of sort of flashbacks and forward, he, he brings himself up to date. And it was a sequence that was difficult, both from a technical standpoint, because we had tons of Manhattan in it, and we had virtual environments. He's like, he, the more vignette a sequence is, like say for instance, you're only gonna shoot one shot. You know, people are, they have a hard time saying, yeah, let's build a giant library, you know, for that one stupid montage shot you're probably going to cut out. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, so this sequence was just difficult from a production standpoint because everything in the sequence was like a one-off. And it's a, you know, a 12-minute sequence in the movie of just one shot after another. And it's a very... Uh, and also, it's, it's just risky also from a storytelling standpoint because... Manhattan is sort of telling the story out of sequence. I mean, slightly in sequence, but he jumps around a little bit. And so, you know, that, that sequence, which I, which is one of my favorite sequences actually in the movie, but also at the time was just difficult because, you know, he's like blowing up CG tanks, he's killing CG gangsters, he's just doing <laughs> crazy stuff. I mean, that sequence is really effect heavy. Yeah. Yeah. But also, so it's a oh, weird, wow. it's a lot of, so you can't, <laughs> There's nothing to um, use again, you know. Even like from a technological, like the tank we blew up, yeah. like that's the only time you see it, you yeah. know. And so these guys had to build like a whole CG tank that kind of comes apart and then goes back. Together. But you know, that's for one shot. That's a bit of a deal, you know. Like Maybe it'll be in another Sony movie someday. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. That's, that's a good question Watchmen for you, <laughs> for you guys too, though. I mean, what what sequences? <laughs> Because you, I mean, you guys didn't just work on Manhattan. You worked on the entire movie and all, all the effects, everything. What sequence? Were there sequences where you lost sleep? Were there sequences where you came in? I'd on say a day the same sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, honestly, it's like the whole idea, of, like Zach's saying. There's, there's 200 sets. You know, it's that, it's that idea of having to do build this thing because we have to build it in the computer. You know, in a, in a similar fashion. It's all virtual, but we have to build it the same, do the same thing. So, like that mobster shot, we had to build these three mobsters from the from the outside in, so their lungs, their bones, everything, because when Doc explodes them apart, all that stuff goes everywhere, and it's just, it's one shot, and it's, I remember, it's 70 frames, and it's like, you know, it's, uh, we called it 70 frames of glory, because it was like, it's in, and it's gone, and then we had to move on to the next one-off, so, so it's really, it's, it's the same thing. See, I'm, mine was the Kennedy assassination. 
Oh yeah. I lost we did a sh- we did One a reenactment shot. of the you know of Kennedy being assassinated, and we shot it. We were originally going to shoot it on this street in um, in a park in Vancouver, and then the the uh, park workers went on strike, <laughs> and so they wouldn't mow the lawn for us. <laughs> Literally, that's true. So we had this crazy tall grass, and we weren't allowed to mow it ourselves because. It was a union, so they were like, no, you can't mow. Like, that's why we're on strike. If you guys come in and mow the lawn, like, they're going to hire you to do it all the time. Um, though I was like, we're really expensive. They don't want to hire us. We're way more expensive than you guys. And then we f- I found out that I, w- that I wasn't. They were actually more expensive. No, but um, the, uh, so those guys said no to us, so we had nowhere to go. So we ended up in this parking lot in uh, this amusement park. And DJ, like, we did all this research. And we found out the exact height of Daly Plaza, the exact height that Zabruder was standing at. The ex- and we built a series of scaffolds. And it was crazy because on the day it just looked like crap. It yeah. looked crazy. Yeah. People on platforms. Yeah. A road that was painted into in the middle of the parking lot. But it was cool because it was a controlled environment. And none of the – I mean, Zach didn't see the other locations they made me look at. You know, there was one that was like – 45 degrees uphill. I'm like, <laughs> what? You know, it was pretty flat. Now, was everybody's going to be leaning like this in the picture, you know? And, uh, and that allowed us to control it and get the sun angle right because the sun angle was pretty critical to the footage that everybody's seen a million times. And uh, it was very satisfying, I think, shooting it. It was one of the first shoots we did, even though it was a really technical shoot. And it came together really fast and really well because it was that much more thought out, I think. But I did lose sleep over it for a while. Yeah, w- and we did like a couple other shots that day, too. Yeah. We shot that, like, we woke up, went there, shot it in the morning. It was one shot, but it was a, it's a long shot. And then we went and did something else. Mm-hmm. But it was crazy because, you know, it's one of those things you think, oh, God, you know, we're going to have to do this like 100 times in order to get it right. But right. It, it was pretty cool. But it wasn't, it's not like, and it's not the Zabruder footage. Zabruder's in the foreground. The camera's actually dollying, like, with, you know, the, with Kennedy's, uh, car, you know, so it's very. We had a good Kennedy double too, so it was interesting. Uh, sir, back there in the striped, uh, s- what was the one thing as when you as you were directing the movie that just snuck up on you that you just didn't see coming? That happens all the time, uh, <laughs> in the sense that it's a scheduling thing more than anything. You're like you're all set to do a certain thing, and you really didn't look at the call sheet that carefully, <laughs> <laughs> and they go and they say things like. And I'm like, whoa, that was awesome scene. That was cool. All right, guys, see you tomorrow. And they're like, no, 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 wait. We're also going to do this other giant scene. <laughs> like, and I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> I felt like we pretty much shot our wads on that. I feel like. <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> and so then they march you over and you do another one. And I, I mean, I think that was the biggest thing. I mean, it's funny. I always say that because I think that's the biggest thing that I've sort of, that's, interesting to me as we've made movies is that you know your favorite movies my favorite movies I, I never think about that you know the day they shot that they had to shoot like two other scenes and they kind of were in a rush and no one cared and you know everyone was rushing not that nobody cared on this movie because everybody did but you know it's, it's like it's just like a they're turning they, they, they get, there's a schedule and things are happening so it's just weird when you're actually you know, in it, and and you're, and, and you know, there's just that day you wake up and you do Dr. Manhattan on Mars, and that's the thing you film, and it's just not, it's in the schedule like everything else. But you know, it's you've been thinking about it for you know a year, and then it's just like, okay, we did it. 
but anyway. Um, back there, the raised hand, yeah, you. The way I worked with Dave was, um, Dave supplied me with a lot of drawings and they're all like bound in, in a book called Watchmen. And so I had that. <laughs> and then I also, but I did, have him I did have him draw a couple other frames for me because I wanted to sort of, he didn't do that much. He did, one, he did a little bit of the sequence that we have, Our Destruction of New York. He did a version of it for me. And I was like, that's cool. Like it was kind of, so it's in the style of, so I kind of could get his take on how that would look because it's so, his point of view is so particular in the way he draws. But, and also I, I did, he was so um, open with me and free with his time that he did give me a lot of, uh, I, you know, I would, if there was like a change I wanted to do it in the story or something like that, I would send him a version of the script and talk to him on the phone phone about it and see like <laughs> what he felt and so that was that was pretty much how he worked with us. Then he, he came up to set this one day when we were doing the the uh, all the guys in um, Crime Busters uh, headquarters scene the scene where Blake uh, yells at uh, Adrian about the atomic bomb about you know atomic bombs. He was there that day so he saw everybody in their costumes. That's what freaked him out because he was like, "Whoa, this is crazy! I drew this." <laughs> oh, over here. Sorry, one question for customer guy. Two more questions. I, look, I, I'm a bit of a cinephile, so I, you know, sit down and watch a little bit. But like, I knew those. I know those movies pretty well, and they just sneak. They you can't help it. Taxi Driver, especially. Um, there's a couple special Taxi Driver shots. I mean, we have a huge, like, Strange Love freak out that we did. Um, you know, and a bunch of other things. But you know, nothing that like Dave. I'd say to Dave, I'm like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this like Strange Love. He's like, that's what we, we, we wanted to do like Strange Love. And I said, okay, that's cool. That's good. You know, and so there's a lot of stuff like that in the movie. I, I also feel like because the, the book is based on, um, you know, it, it, it made a, it, made, it took a run at um, comic books, you know, and at the time, comic books and cinema were not linked in the way they are now. Uh, and so I kind of felt like I had to make cinematic references to really, so that you know fans who had never read the graphic novel could at least let that satirical sort of element resonate past just you know comic book frames and sort of into cinematic pop culture as well. How's that? Uh, last, que last question, the uh, super fan waving right, right here. And you better be a super fan or... Shh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No, you know, I just wanted to make his costume cooler. That's all that is. I didn't want him to be... He, by the way, he has this alibi. He gets, someone tries to kill him. He's not the bad guy. How can I... Someone tries to assassinate him. He's not bad. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Thanks for coming. Uh, appreciate all the good questions. You guys are awesome. Do you, want, do you have anything else to say? All right. So thank you guys. We're going to show this little thing and uh, see you later.